The following audio is from the chapel at Fishhawk. More information about the chapel at Fishhawk is available at www.thechapelfh.org. Good morning, chapel family. How are you all today? I don't know why pastors say that. Because I, if I meant it, I would just ask you one-to-one. Because if I ask you now collectively and you don't say, yes, we're chipper, I'm just forcing people to lie. But those of you who are doing well, I am pumped you are here. Those of you who are doing terribly, I am pumped you are here because today we get to talk and learn and grow and connect with Jesus, the king of everything. So uh, I'm going to ask you a quiz. This is not a quiz where you have to answer because it would get weird real quick. But uh, if I were to, to generally ask you, what are things that are we would consider sinful in the church? we would start rattling off different sins. And I know this because I didn't grow up in this thing we call church. I came to it. So I, like many of you, have now experienced the full joy of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we have particular things that we say are worse than other things. For example, if you walked in from the parking lot to the door and you were cruising down the hallway with the Marlboro Red... That's a cigarette for those of you who grew up in the church. Uh, and you were just cussing at people. You, were, you saw somebody and you were like, oh, I don't like that guy. He's a bleepity bleep bleep bleep. And then you threw your cigarette butt down on the sidewalk. So A, first you're going to offend Christians because you're smoking and cussing. And then you're going to offend the environmentalists because you're littering. And if you walked in here or any church gathering for the most part, people would be looking at you with a certain suspicion. Because in church circles, we don't do that. We don't smoke and cuss and chew and go with girls who do. We, it's part of the culture. However, however, as someone who loves the Bible, I want us to understand that today, the issue that we are looking at matters far more to God than any of these surface things. Now, now don't get me wrong. I don't want us to be a church that just goes out cussing at everybody. Like, this is just a select few of you, okay? For the most part, we should be encouraging. We're going to get to that verse later on in this sermon series where our words should build up, not tear down. And, and I, don't, I don't want us to just go thrash our bodies, but I'm not going to sit up here and be like, you guys, cigarettes are bad. Let's all cruise to mcdonald's and just crush whoppers till our heart's content and by content i mean in need of surgery okay so so today the thing we're talking about is bigger than these sins that the church looks at and points at the bible talks more about this issue today than it does about any sexual sin than it does about any other of these things that we as christians tend to rally against the, the bad CDs, quote unquote. I've shared before that I've, I've burnt now at this point five copies of Metallica Ride the Lightning because when I came to Jesus, it was not okay to have that CD, so I burnt it and repurchased it. I burnt it and repurchased it. I burnt it and repurchased it. And now I own the cloud copy. So if conviction sets upon me and I delete it, I just have to download it for free again. Today, this issue is more grave, more serious, and more important for how you live out your life with Jesus. If you get this wrong, you're going to get just about everything else wrong in Christianity. So we're going to pray, and we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have the exact same Bible as me, we're on page 1,590. It's me and you, Cam. 
If you don't have this Bible, you need Jesus. If you don't own a Bible, we have free Bibles in the back. You can take one home if you would like to have a copy. It's our gift to you. I'm going to pray and we're going to get into God's Word. Father, today we are jumping into the middle of your relationship with the Son, Jesus, and the Spirit. And you have given us an example of what eternal, everlasting, ever-connected, always-exalting love and unity looks like. Lord, I pray that we as a church family would be unified together. That you would squeeze divisiveness and division out from among us. That we could be differently gifted and diverse and unique, yet always unified in love and grace. That we would cherish the differences, whether they are theological, political, or practical that first and foremost, we would always point people to you. I pray that this passage today would encourage us and inspire us to live in a radical type of unity that you modeled for us. It's all for you and your name and for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Ephesians 4, we're going to read 1 to 6 today. I'm going to read right through it, and then we'll come back to the top. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all and in all. May God bless the reading of his word. So this is Paul. And for those of you who are new, we are in a series in Ephesians where we are looking at who we are in Jesus. The first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, have this high theology about what God has done for us. And now in verse 4, there's a shift. And Paul is going to begin to shift over to the practical outworkings of the Christian faith. Now, if we're being honest, 4 to 6 are what Christians love. Because it's the practical, on-the-ground stuff. Verse chapters 1 to 3, we kind of just read because this is theology in the nosebleeds. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We are saved by grace through faith. We know those verses are important, but they don't have as much of a ground-level effect on many of our hearts as some of the other verses. Like, don't exasperate your children. Husbands, love your wives. Don't say anything mean. Like that's the translation loosely of Ephesians. If you have nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. The thing our mothers told us the whole time growing up, we had no idea they were quoting Scripture. They probably didn't have any idea they were quoting Scripture. Now those things are, are easy to grab onto. But if we grab onto those without remembering what Jesus has done for us, we become what the Bible calls legalists. We become what the Bible calls religious people who think that our ability to keep the rules are what makes us worthy before God rather than what Jesus has done. And if you get those two things mixed up, you will become a miserable person, a joyless person, and a person who is crushed by the weight of religion. Because if you haven't experienced yet, religion can crush you. Just this morning, I, I had the privilege, and this is something I want you to pray for as a family. Somebody came here this morning asking for prayer because they grew up their whole life um, as a Muslim. And this lady, in the past two months, has converted to Christianity. But in so doing, she's somewhere between 40 and 50. Now the conversion is 
physically taking a toll on her because her family is praying against her. Because there are people actively doing things toward her to make her feel like she is making the wrong choice. And I could see it on her face this morning. I could see the weight of the decision. And she's wondering, did I make the wrong decision? Is Jesus really worth this? And as I spoke with her this morning, I was encouraged because she's getting something right now that many of us don't get. That there is only one Lord and one faith and one baptism and one God and one hope. And we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And she's she's struggling with how to walk that out. But she's feeling right now this very freedom that I'm talking about. She's starting to feel like, I can't believe God loves me so much, but the weight of religion that has been upon her for 40 years, and this is how she described it to me, the weight makes her feel like if she leaves it, then that former weight will crush her. And this is something that many of you, many of us, live with in Christianity. We pretend like we're doing the right things, but deep, deep down, we're still clinging to our ability to have a little bit of control. And today I want us to begin to let that go as we pursue Paul's very first practical step of living life with Christ. So first, he reminds us he's a prisoner. And then he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. What does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? What have you been called to do? What have we been called to do? We've been called to love God and love others. This is the basic part of the law. And Paul says, walk worthy of that. So look at all that God has done. Now walk in a way that shows off the gravitas, the seriousness of what God has done for you. Now I don't know what that looks like for you. I only know what it looks like for me personally because it it is going to be different. Your worthy walk is not going to be my worthy walk, but they will both be worthy. They will both be worth it. So the first question that I want you to ask yourself today is this. Based on everything I know about Jesus, am I living faithfully in response to that? Have I looked at Jesus? Have I seen how much he's done for me? And am I saying, okay, based on this massive gift, am I now walking in a way that, is, uh, that correlates, that is directly uh, connected? Because some of us, if I just looked at your life, and if you looked at your own life, you will have to admit the way that you're walking makes Jesus' gift look like a small little stocking stuffer. And, and stocking stuffers are okay, but they're not the main course on Christmas morning, Right? Who does the best gift come from on Christmas morning? Jesus, silly. Not Santa. Where where were you guys? It's Jesus. I know everyone's thinking Santa. All the kids are like, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. No, no, Jesus is Christmas. In case we forgot, Christmas, Christ more. Yes, service. The best gift is is Jesus. But but on Christmas morning, I remember, because in my house, we had a strict no-wakey-mom policy. Um, and that was beneficial for our well-being as boys, because if we woke mom up prior to the seven o'clock um, time, there was certain death. But to uh, give her those extra moments of sleep, she would say, you can go down and open your stockings. Now, I need you to remember, for those of you who are new, um, I, I have seasons in my life like we all have seasons. Now, there were seasons in my life where we were a little poorer growing up with a single mom. My mom worked multiple jobs to make sure that we could keep on trucking along. And and then there became a season of like, I'm old enough to not get cool gifts, and now I just get practical stuff. So that's like what husbanding is also like. Stocking stuffers are like Hanes. 
or and if you're in high school, you get number two pencils and your composition workbooks. And that was all I could open before 7 o'clock. And then the big presents came. Then the real show started, the video games or, or the skateboards or whatever it was. Too many of us have this walk. It's like the, the, the stocking stuffer walk. And the only reason I'm talking about Christmas is because I've been jamming out to NSYNC's Christmas album all week again. It's just so hot, I'm trying to remember what cold feels like, so I'm singing that album. But, but we know that those, those things, they don't give us joy. Like if I asked you, hey, what stocking stuffer did you get two Christmases ago? You're, there's just chirping birds of emptiness in there. You don't remember unless you got Hanes every year for the last 12 years. Some of you are like, I remember. Then you need better real Christmas presents, Okay. Those gifts don't excite. And, and when you get those gifts, you're like, oh, cool, yay. And as a kid, we would be so happy. But it was like always just opening this to bide our time to get the real gift. And when you got the real gift, that's when your life changed. That's when you get the skateboard. You go out into the front yard. You start doing all the skateboard tricks. And then all the kids that got their Christmas gifts would all come outside. Now, keep in mind, I'm talking about the 80s. Now kids get their Christmas gifts, and they go hook them up and plug them in. But in the 80s, we used to get these gifts. We'd go outside. And all the neighborhood kids would be like, look what I got, a skateboard, a bicycle, this and that. Nowadays, the kids put on their headphones. They're like, hey, are you on? I got one too. It's totally different. I don't understand how these kids work, but, but I'm sure they'll turn out okay in Jesus' name. But, but it changed your life. You, all of a sudden, you get a bike that's freedom. And, and your whole life gets shaped differently. We just gave my son Jackson a new freedom to roam our neighborhood and uh, without parental direct supervision because I'm massively overprotective. So I was like, eye contact only. And now I'm like, okay, you can go to this general scheme of things. This has been the first week of his life. And in the first week of his life, he gets spit on. A kid runs into his bike and bends his front rim. He, he lost his freedom. But, he, but his life changed. He was walking a different way. With that taste of freedom we've given him, he comes in and talks to me more like a teenager now, and I have to adjust him back down to an eight-year-old. If you see Jesus for who he is and what he's done for you, your life will change. If your life doesn't change, if as we go through these chapters of Ephesians and you're like, I don't do any of these, then my question isn't, and my statement or question isn't going to be, well, what, what's wrong or you need to try harder. My question is, I don't think you actually got the gift in one to three. Otherwise, you'd be living the life of four to six. I'm not going to tell people from the pulpit, stop cussing, stop smoking, stop being divisive. I'm going to say, go look at what Jesus did first. Because if you don't get that, this whole passage about being unified into oneness is going to make no sense to you. You're going to just try really hard to be nice. But niceties always end with our patience wick. You can be, everyone can be nice. As a matter of fact, some of you in here are wired to be nicer than others. Do you know those people? The people who are just, they, they were born nice. They came out of the womb smiling. They're, they only say sweet things. And we generally think, well, that's such a nice, sweet person. Sometimes people just have that disposition. It doesn't mean they're more godly. It just means they were born that way. Some of you were born cantankerous. You were born with a face that no one likes to look at. When you walk through the mall, people move. This is some of you. It doesn't mean that you were born less godly. But what should happen is wherever you were before Christ, 
you are going to begin to walk in a manner worthy. What is the worthy walk? Worthy to what you've been called. Here's what it looks like. I'm not going to say just go do it, but I'm going to say here's what it looks like, and then I'll tell you how, to, how we can do it. It looks like walking with all humility. So humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. It's thinking of God and others more. It's not a huge virtue in our culture currently. And then also walking in a way that's worthy is walking with gentleness. I mean, I've never been in a men's Bible study where we're just racking the conversation. Guys, we have got to be more gentle. <laughs> never. Never once. It's, guys, we've got to love our wives more. Oh, I really just hate this guy at work. I'm so stressed out. I've got no time. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to stop looking at this or that. I've never heard guys pleading before God together saying, Lord, make us more gentle. God, we want to be humble. The only guys that pray for humility are guys that grew up in the church. No one else does that. And, and by the way, these are some of the most dangerous prayers. Because God doesn't give you pixie dust to humble you. He gives you experiences to humble you. God, oftentimes, if you go to the next attribute with patience, if you say, God, I want to be more patient, he's not going to dump, dump a bucket of spiritual patience upon you. He's going to exasperate you. He's going to make you pregnant. I was joking with, uh, with our tech director's wife this morning because she said something came in. It's like, oh, where's my other, where's, or I got another kid? And like a question. And I was like, what? You got another kid? And then she said, don't curse me with that. Because if you're new here, you have a 17% um, a chance of getting pregnant again by attending the chapel. It's just the way that his breeders gather here. But on the flip note, it's statistically proven true. Nine, your babies born to the chapel family are 19% cuter than other babies born elsewhere. So, um, so take that for what it's worth. And that's, that's what's going to happen if you pray for patience. God's going to say, you want patience? I'll give you children. You want humility? I'll give you a spouse. You want gentleness? I'll put you in situations where your sin is going to want to lash out. But my spirit within you is going to say, love them, don't lash at them. And then he gives the reason for all of this. This is how we're to walk. In this hum humble, gentle, patient, thinking of others, loving God. It's very difficult. The reason that he says to do this is so that we can be so we can bear with one another in love. So first of all, bearing with love and then eager to maintain unity. Bearing with love is something that we should all practice. And, and think of the words in this text. Bearing with love means that it is going to be hard. You are either going to read bearing as in you have to literally bear the difficulty because sometimes love is hard. Love is not always easy. And the only people love is easy for are the people in the first two years of their relationship. Love is easy for those moments. Love is easy to direct toward children when they're yours and they're obeying. Love is easy to direct toward others when they are saying only things that you agree with. Love is very difficult when it stands in the face of who you are or what you believe or embrace. I, I had never quite experienced something like I did this past election cycle. And I still think it's a little bit, um, it's kind of humorous to me, the way that politics exists down here. And I, I think I've got it figured out. So what happened is Florida was Southern-esque. And then all the people that hated cold migrated down. 
So we have this mishmash of people. And they're across the spectrum. Here amongst yourselves, there are Republicans. Democrats gasp. Here amongst yourselves, there are Democrats. Republicans gasp. Democrats, be afraid. I'm sure that Republicans are carrying guns. Republicans, Democrats, be terrified because there might be a libertarian who smoked marijuana in the parking lot. But it's good that we're all here. But, but if in that moment we already are starting to bristle, like, wait, 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 wait. I don't go to churches where there's other people that believe differently from me politically. Or I don't go to other churches where there's people that believe in different theologies from me. Because maybe your theology, maybe you're hardcore into one denomination. And it's either your way or the highway. Maybe you grew up Presbyterian. It, and you're here and you're like, yes, I love Reformed theology. I love baptisms where we get the bowl and we just sprinkle them. Because if we ever sprinkled somebody here, the Baptists would rise up. And they would charge the stage. And they would try to cram someone in a bowl. You think I'm, but but then we then you got the the people who are like the man. We are the big free will theologians, and then we are the big sovereignty of God people. Those people, they're free will people. Like you choose, it's up to you. The sovereignty of God people, like no, it's up to God. You can't choose anything, you heathen sinner. And the free will people, are like God will let me choose. Now now I land in some of these camps. I'm not going to tell you today. You can ask me. I'll tell you. But but if we can't get along. If we can't exist in one place, we begin forming these different denominations and we make these distinctives the main thing that we major in rather than bearing with one another in love. At the chapel in our statement of faith, the largest section, it goes God, the Father, the Son, sin, humanity, salvation. The largest section on our website statement of faith is non-essentials. Because if you're going to bear with someone in love, You've got to be able to have differences, yet still hang out and eat together and pray together. So I, I do the open hand, closed hand. Closed hand are things that as believers, these are non-negotiables. Jesus, salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, through the love of God alone. If you don't believe in Jesus, you will die apart from him forever. This is a closed hand issue. means I will fight for this. I will punch you for this. Not literally, I will love you, but, but doctrinally. I will say these things are you must believe to be in. In my open hand are other things. In the open hand are things like, when is the world going to end? How is Jesus coming back? What about the spiritual gifts? Because we have some people here who are dying every week to speak in tongues and have worship flags. But that's not my bag, so I'm, I'm like, please leave your flags at home. If you play a tambourine, you better be approved and on stage. Don't just bring the tambourine. That would freak me out. You can bring a cowbell because I like Will Ferrell. Okay. Open hand. Closed hand. Open hand are things that the church argues about. Uh, let's talk about gender roles within church and family. Now, I have very strong and passionate views about those things, about what I believe the husbands and wives' roles are to be and why God created it that way. We're going to get to that in Ephesians 5, so I'm not going to spoiler it today. But I'm not going to fight with or kick people out because they differ from me. I want to have healthy dialogue over lots of coffee and pastries about these things where we can love each other at the end of the day and say, 
for unity's sake. We can disagree on these open-handed issues, when Jesus is going to come, what the rapture is like, which books of the Bible are the best. Because being a, a theology, theology head, I'm like, man, Romans is the best book of the Bible. If you disagree with me, you are wrong. And some of you guys are like, no, it's the Psalms. And to you, I say, go play your harp. No, I'm just kidding. I like the Psalms a lot, too. They're my, they're my favorite. I read the Psalms more than any other book. Open hand, closed hand. These are the things that we, we must agree on. The core of the faith. Many, a lot of what you see on statement of faith. But some churches, they add things to the statement of faith. Secondary issues. They're majoring in the minors. We're not going to do that here. We're going to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain unity because God hates division. Jesus prayed, Lord, let them be one as you and I are one. He's talking to the Father. What would it be like to be one? I'll tell you what. There's benefits of being unified and together. Uh, as, a, as a former um, angry person, well, I still get angry from time to time. I'm, I'm, I'm mostly redeemed of that. Um, I used to get in fights. Now, anyone who's ever been in a fight, anyone ever been in a fist fight? I'm not talking like with your brothers. I'm talking like a full-on fist fight brawl. Okay. I like that the one lady raised her hand. Me! I'm like, and it didn't shock. Darcy, me and you, we're going to have a moment. We're going to share, okay? So when you get in a fight, Something happens. And, uh, and my first fights were, were this. I'm, I've always been taller. The girls were never taller than me. Nobody was ever taller than me ever. I've always been the tallest. And I remember my first fights because here's what happens. If you're in school, you hit somebody. The first thing you do is you look around to see who's on their team. Because believe it or not, people don't fight fair. And I don't ever fight in Florida because I read the news. And because I've talked to some of you. I don't, I don't know if whoever I would fight has a pistola in their, their pantolas, okay? So I, I don't want to get angry at people here, and I like people now. I used to not like people as much. But I remember getting in fights and punch, and then all of a sudden, I'd just get assaulted. And for the, from middle school, from 7th grade, 8th grade, and ninth grade, I got assaulted over and over and over again by multiple people. They would beat me up a lot, and I hated it because I was just one, and there were many. It was hard to beat many with one. Too, too often, as Christians, we're treating our faith like I was treating those aggressive moments. We thought, I'm big enough to do this myself. You're not. The things against you are gathering and banding together. The amount of messages that are bombarded on your ears and eyes are more than you have this one book, and then we've got 5,000 other messages hitting our ears a day. My favorite shirt this morning, I think it's hilarious. I'm picking on you. It's, it's this shirt right here. Can you stand up and turn around? I mean, talk about embarrassed now, but you wore it. Porn kills love. Okay, you can sit back down. Some of you are thinking, whoa, I'm glad I left my kid in children's ministry. Some of you are thinking, whoa, how am I going to tell my kid who I left in here with me? what that shirt means. There's a message right there. That's a strong message. But you know what's preaching against that message? Thousands of things we're going to see today. Because in the church, one thing I've been talking with men about is how broken sexuality has become. And we wear shirts like this. We have messages like this, like sexual sin is bad. We've got to get rid of it. Yet, 
we don't realize. We say, well, well how, what, what's the boundary? And this is what we're getting to in Ephesians 4. What's the boundary of walking worthy? We're going to get to sexual sin, but I'll tell you one boundary, and I don't understand. And you can get mad at me you can now because now I'm the grace guy. People have left this church because I talk about grace too much. Ryan, you don't talk about sin enough. I will tell you something right now. And if you get mad at me, we can bear with one another in love. But a very popular show is going to premiere. Game of Thrones. Tonight. And someone's going to say, I can watch this all day every day. This is not pornography. And it's like a pool. It's like, how far do you go in the pool before you're wet? And in our culture, I think what's happened is the sexuality level is already four feet deep. This is what we walk around in all day. And maybe Game of Thrones is seven feet deep. And maybe just outright pornography is is the 10-foot deep end. And then the crazy stuff, the 50 shades of whatever is like the oblivion. But we say, well, I'm not in the deep end. And the Bible's question, we're talking about walking worthy in unity, is, is A, where are we walking together? Because I don't want to be, I don't want to get wet. If we're saying being wet is sexual sin, and we already live in a culture that's four feet deep, just because we're there doesn't make it okay. And here's the hard part. It's a lot harder for me to walk with you if you are in a pool, fully dressed, and I'm saying, let's go toward Jesus. He's over here. But you're saying, but I love just waiting in this, whatever it is, sexual sin, gossip, divisiveness, hating other people, not caring for the poor. And I'm saying, I want to walk with you, but, but when you link arms with somebody and start dragging them in the water, they're heavy. And if they have their clothes on, they can't move very much. If you've ever fallen in a pool with your clothes on, it's, it's a little panic mode. But that story that warmed all of our hearts this past week when a family got caught out in a riptide and the, the news story said they were going to die. Now, as a, someone who's born in California, um, I'm, like riptides don't concern me. I just swim. But I get it. Like if you're a tourist, if you were like raised in the buckwheat fields of Ohio and you get sucked out to sea, you start to panic. And, and what happened? People started forming a human chain together, unified. They said, we're going to come and get you out. It was a chain 80 people long, into the bull shark infested waters of Florida. And they grabbed this family and they saved them. They got them in. Now, I'm all for wanting to do that. We need to form chains and be in unity together when it comes to some of these issues. In this particular section, it's talking about being one because we're under one God, one family, one church, one hope, one, 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 one. We should be so unified and so in love with one another that we're doing this to pull each other out of the muck of this world. When we go all the way back to walk worthy, it's not just walk worthy by ourselves. It's man, when you're struggling, are we just going to watch and say, I'll pray for you? Because that is very different. I could say, I always pick on you because you're so close and you're all alone today. I could say, I will pray for you. Or I could be like, dude, you've been so, just get up, man, it's struggling. Just come with me. Come with me. I'm going to get him going. I could do that. Or here's another thing, and I'm, I'm going to drag him somewhere soon. 
you see someone that's struggling with some issue, and, and leave away the minor issues. Forget for right now if your friend that it comes here has the mouth of a sailor. No offense, Joey. Um, for, forget that. But, but what I want you to do is to come alongside people who maybe, maybe there's someone here and they're just like, I, I'm just going to do Christianity on my own. Say, no, we're, we're never alone. And maybe they say to you, I just don't want to let someone that close into my life. Well, the Bible says that we are to be one, like the Father and the Son are one. How close is that? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, now this is really nerdy stuff, have existed eternally. The Father is the Spirit. In the book of Genesis, he, the, God speaks. That Word of God, the action of God, is what the Bible calls the Word, the capital W, and we call him Jesus. The Word became flesh, that's John chapter 1. So the Word of God, the tangible outgoing of God, becomes flesh, that's Jesus. And then when Jesus leaves, he sends the Spirit. So if you grew up in the Catholic Church, you cross yourself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We believe this is the Protestant Church. They are three distinct persons, yet one being. This is a ton to get your head around. But the reason I need to do this today is so that you can see that we were created in this image. The Father always loving and honoring the Son. The Son always exalting, loving, and honoring the Spirit. And the Spirit being the connective force of love between the Father and the Son. This is the image that we were created in. You were not created in the image of God as an individual. Because if you were, that is a messed up, jacked up image. I mean, let's be honest. Some of you barely passed the third grade. You think you're going to encapsulate the beauty and image and intelligence and strength of God? No, it's us. Next week, we're, we're actually going to have uh, a, a litmus test of what God has gifted you to do and at the end of service in the lobby, I'm going to have you write your names as we look at the giftings that God has given people so that we can build each other up. That's next week. But this week, we have to understand that we are made in this image. And if we don't have each other, we're actually going to cheapen the experience of knowing God in every other area of our lives. Because you are better at some things in the faith than I am. And I'm better at some things in the faith than you are. It's not by my merit or your merit. It's by the grace and gift of God. And I need you. And you need the person next to you, whether you like them or know them. Because we are what the Bible calls a body. Now, do you remember when Shaquille O'Neal messed up his toe and couldn't make free throws? That was just his toe. And we dogged that guy for years. I still laugh at it. My daughter turned four. We went to Sky Zone. Anyone been to Sky Zone? It's a place where they torture adults. Because you jump and then you go buy the Costco-sized bottles of Motrin. I went to Sky Zone the first year I was here. And, and my wife will tell you, I could not walk normal for eight months. And when I say not normal, I mean like I had to lean on the handrail to get up and down my stairs every day. And I thought, I legitimately thought, because I was jumping this one day and I woke up the next morning, my knees were swollen. I started taking Motrin every day. Just 800 milligrams of Motrin. Don't judge me. I was just popping them. It would be Motrin coffee. Boom, boom. I was just breeding ulcers. And I thought, this is it. I'm, I'm mid, late 30s now. It's over. My body's shutting down. I, I see these people in their 60s. They're in chronic pain. This is me now. I'm not recovering. It really affected everything. And I told Amy multiple times, like, I, I think that I can't do it. And now, thankfully, the Motrin coffee-bacon combo did whatever. I think the bacon greased the joints. 
The Motrin brought down the swelling, and the coffee just kept me moving. And my knees are fine. You'll all be grateful to know. But those, that, that affected me. It, and what's affecting me now is something that I've been just laboring over in prayer is that as a pastor, I need to be more faithful. And that's what this week and next week are launching. And this fall, we're launching this emphasis to not only help you discover where you're gifted, but so that you can use your gifts to build up this body. Because on a Sunday, this is really going to sound weird and slightly narcissistic, but, but people come here, and you get to watch the stage people use their gifts, and some of the people out there using their gifts of hospitality and teaching kids, and then my gift of preaching. And, 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 and then for the large part, though, the majority of you sit there and you have all of these divine cosmic gifts, like literally things that God gave you, and you're not using them. And that means now that who we are as a body, and this is on me, we are a body with maybe knees that have atrophied a little bit. You know that feeling, those of you who are my age and older? Because although my knees are fine now, if I sit down for too long of a period, I brace to get up, and, and I don't know when it started, but it's my running joke with myself is I have no idea when I, had to, when I started exhaling every time I sat down and got up. I don't know when that happened. Every time, though, I sit down, <sighs> I stand up, <gasps> I don't know. It just happens because <laughs> my body, it's not all working together anymore. As a church body, spiritually, we can work together, but we have to begin to say, am I going to be unified? Because I need, we need each other. And the things that you don't know about each other are, are making us deficient as a body. Maybe the elbow's not working, or maybe the toe's broken, maybe the knees aren't bending anymore. But we need more people with different gifts. And if I'm being honest, it's so easy for me to gravitate toward people who are similar to me. But that's not what I need. We don't need more mouths. We, we need more diversity. And next week, when we talk about how people are wired using the, the next passage, the apostles, God has given the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. When we talk about that next week, I'm going to have you all plot your own name on this paper in the back lobby and see how we're wired and see how uncomfortable it's going to be. Because I'm a... I'm an apostle, like I want to go out, sent out. The apostle means sent ones. I want to go always, and, and I'm an evangelist. I just want to tell people the good news and then move. And I like teaching. I think it's fun, but mostly for evangelism. My wife, is, she, she wants to plant down roots and stay in a place. I'm like, let's go. She's like, oh, we've been here. I'm like, yeah, let's go to the Philippines. Oh, we've been, I'm like, let's go. I want to go. I want to go. God made us marry each other. Not only that, God brought us all here with our gifts. And, and we're going to talk about it next week because I want you to know where you are and who you are. And I want to begin to empower you and lift you up. Because some of you have such astonishing gifts that you need to build it out in the body. Some of you, there's like three of you that read books here. We need people that read books to translate and teach. Seriously. Because some of us don't read books. And our religion is based on a book that points to a, a guy, a savior, a God. So if you're not a reader, maybe you need help on how to read this book. I can't teach all of you, but I for sure could say, hey, 
Go talk to Edwin. If, you, if you're a lady, I would say I'm putting people on the spot. I didn't prep these people. Go talk to Kim. If you want to learn how to read the Bible. Some of us just love caring for the poor. Others of us have driven by people for the last 20 years not given a rip. We need to get those people together. And those compassionate among us need to rub off on the rest of us. Some of us naturally are good at teaching things. You're good at taking a concept and making it simple so that people can understand it. We need some of that. Some of you are good at evangelism. Some of you, if I told you to go lead someone to Jesus, would begin to shake with fear. That's why we need each other. When the body is working, the human body can do amazing things. When the church body is working and we, when we are one, it's quite incredible. We need to remember that there is only one body. Last week, um, I just think this was the funnest thing that I've, I've done in a long time. We canceled the offering, and I, in lieu of that, I told you to go give your offering to somebody. Bless somebody some way. And then one of you, I don't know who it was, whoever it was, I love you even more. If you tell me, I'll give you a great big hug. One of you gave your offering to another pastor because we had a pastor visiting who's planting a church at Newsom High in October. And one of you gave your tithe to him. And I met with him on Thursday, and he goes, Ryan, it just blew me away. First off, you canceled your offering. That was crazy. I was like, yeah, 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 so cool, huh? <laughs> and then he goes, and then you told people in your church to come look at my church plan. I was like, yeah, 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 this is so cool, huh? One team, one body? And he goes, yeah, and then someone gave me their tithing check, and it was written out to me. And I was like, yeah, 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 don't blow that. God will judge you. <laughs> but, but do we believe this? sometimes I fear we don't. There's this weird churchy competition thing. And that does no good to anybody. We could make kids programs better. You know who cares about kids programs the most? Church people. We could make these cool churchy events. We could have these teas. And I'm all for teas and coffees. Anything with caffeine I'm good with. Bacon, meat. I want to have a guy's thing called Beast Feast where we just eat a bunch of meat one day. just for, And we could say, Jesus, meat. Those things are okay, but church people love those. I've never met somebody outside of the church. I've never met a, a lady or a gal who's like, hey, hey, I, I don't go to church anymore, but I'm really looking for a fabulous tea. I've, I've not met guys who are out there. Well, that's not true. I have met guys who just love beef. But, but, it's, but they're not like looking to come to church to eat beef. All, all of this the gifting, these things that we're doing. We can compete with one another or we can be one. We are, I believe, one. Whether a church is, quote, better or worse, doesn't matter to me. I regularly pray for this church that's starting, Next Level Church. I regularly pray for Fishhawk Fellowship. I regularly pray for Bay Life. I regularly pray for Bell Shoals. I regularly pray for these churches because we are one body. And what drives me crazy is when we, as God's people, not only some of us unify so hardcore in our local body that we raise our nose to the other bodies. Well, my church, we believe in grace and the Bible. Well, my church, we've got the best Awanas or Mops or VBS or whatever. I mean, ha, ha, this is my church. Jesus is like, my church, dummy. One church, my body, work together. And I'm trying, fam. But you know what? Here's how it's going to work. We start working together here, 
and loving every other church body we know. If we don't concern ourselves with what I call sheep stealing, but if sheep happen to change pens, I won't judge you for too long, just a little long. Because sheep stealing is zero net gain to the kingdom. My mission is kingdom growth, not sheep swapping. But I want to raise up unity in our body. And now, because I've been trying to bless this new church plant, I'm praying my brains out for them. Because for whatever reason in Florida, there's a different separation. And it grieves me. I, I want us to work together. Because together we will be vastly stronger than we ever could be apart. We will help the poor more. We can do things with other churches. We will lead more people to Jesus if we're less concerned with getting people through the doors of our building. I've told all the other churches here, man, I've got this massive lawn that I pay for. Come and use it. Just let me know. You want to throw an event? I won't even, we don't market anything. You could cover up our signs. Lead people to Jesus because we're one. But we've got to start here. We've got to be so radically loving in the midst of diversity in this body that others begin to take notice. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we get to walk in unity. Lord, I pray that as we jump into these chapters about sin issues and practical life issues, that we would form that 80-person human chain to rescue one another from the pits of sin that are ripping us out to sea. Lord, I pray that you would make us unified as a church family at the chapel, and that we would be unified as a church body, capital C, in Lithia, in Riverview, in Brandon area. I pray that we would not turn up our noses to other believers, but that we would open our hands to them, that we would form chains across lines that normally have kept us apart that we would put aside secondary issues, that we would major in the majors and leave the minors in the minors and bring your love to a hurting and broken world. In Jesus' name.